0: To the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com And now our feature presentation.
1: Hello, and welcome back to the 1980s movie Graveyard Horathon. The horror hits just keep on rolling all through the month of October here. And uh tonight we got a very, very special movie. With a great lineage of uh, a producer director here, a guy who really I would go as far as call master of horror, but we 'll get into that in a second. Uh, we just got done digging this one up straight out of the ground this uh, corpse of a film and uh, which is interesting because the selling point of this movie actually is a literal corpse, but uh, anyway i 'm very happy, very uh, thrilled to be joined by uh, you know, I, at this point, I don't even want to call him a part-time grave because he's here, he's been hanging out at the graveyard quite a bit, helping us get these stiffs up out of the ground for Halloween. I want to welcome to the show, Trevor. Trev, what's going on, man?
0: Hey, what's going on? Yeah, I've been hanging out this graveyard so much, I'm really starting to get some weird looks from people. But, you know, but yeah, I thought like when you first of all, when you told me what you wanted to do for this uh, show, I thought it was an odd choice. I didn't didn't quite get it, but I just figured, all right, well, you're a big Hugh Laurie fan. So I plowed through all eight seasons, 177 episodes, and I am ready to go with this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Tonight we will be covering (laughs) the medical drama amazing tv show all uh, we we, we got like the dvds piled up we're gonna have to take breaks to switch these
0: out this is gonna be a long one folks but this could be
1: literally the longest podcast ever in history tonight we'll be covering all eight seasons of the medically gripping and 100% medically accurate house
0: Welcome to the 1980s movie graveyard, the show that lets forgotten movies have one last chance to shine. Now sit back and relax, enjoy the show. Yep. All
1: right, so yeah, House is a great horror movie. I'll talk a little bit about it as uh, you know the credits roll on here, but um, we'll just get the sync instructions out of the way. We have this paused on the opening logo of the movie studio, which is New World Pictures. And it's one of those little um, animated opening logos like they all had. You'll see a little red slivers come on and make a little, I guess, a globe. And then eventually the words New World Pictures pops up on the DVD. And that's where we have it paused at. You can see the text uh, where it says New World Pictures in white at the bottom of the screen. Uh, We have this paused at the 13 second mark on the DVD. So go ahead and get your DVD to the 13-second mark if you're going to sync along with us. If not, just keep on listening, and we'll get the show rolling on here in a second. I'm going to say one, two, three, go. And when you hear me say go, everybody hit play on your DVD players. You got your remote in hand, Trev? I do indeed. Okay, everybody. One, two, three, go. All right, and House is rolling right along here. I got to ask, what kind of remote are you using, Trev? Are you using that PS3 controller? Uh, yes, I am. See that—that's the best one. I've been, you know, I got a couple things hooked up to this TV, and I've been using the regular IR remote, you know, regular Blu-ray player. But I got this PS3, and that's the way to go because that Bluetooth man—nothing gets in its way. It's when you tap that button, that shit starts playing quick. One of the
0: yeah, it's true. But I remember when I first got the PS3 and started using it as my primary player for a while. For a while, it was kind of hard to mentally think of uh, the controller, you know, right. as your as your Blu-ray remote or whatever. But now, now I'm so used to it. Sometimes I feel weird when I'm at a friend's house just using a standard DVD player remote.
1: You know what? Like, in my theater room, I use my PS4 for streaming in there. And I got to say, like, the whatever. Like, I kind of like the controls actually holding a controller with both hands. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I drop it less, I have less problems with it. Makes
0: it it feel like a real experience, you know? It really does.
1: Yeah, I I was going to use my uh, PS3 for the other show I recorded the other night and for this show, but... It's been so damn long since I used my PS3, my uh, controller is unsynced. I gotta go find the cable and plug them my in <laughs> to resync them or whatever the fuck you gotta do.
0: Now, are these images we're seeing like photo negatives or do I have to go adjust the color on my TV? What's going on here? Oh, okay, never mind. We gotta these, fix that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And by the way, this should be a real treat for Friday 13th fans because this film is made by the creator of Friday 13th, Sean S. Cunningham. And uh, the score is by Harry Manfredini, who also did Friday 13th score but i, I, I uh, do you know this trev did he do a new score for this or did cunningham just reuse the friday score because i swear there's parts where it just sounds like friday 13 30.
0: i just think uh, manfredini is kind of like danny elfman where for a while Long he was trick. just kind of yeah like in a groove where it's just this all of it sounded the same and i really have to say i mean i don't don't get me wrong friday fans i i like the friday music but manfredini is not really the best composer out there yeah and there are definitely moments in this where the music does not really fit the tone
1: yeah there's a lot of uh, it that sounds like i mean there's some of it that fits perfectly and it's it, yeah. it's really good don't get me wrong but there's some of it that's you know uh i don't know it almost sounds it, like be, a little, it be a little it could
0: be a little cornball sometimes yeah. you know? and
1: i gotta say this opening um scene billy jean's brother it is billy jean's fair is fair He's got the red scooter everything
0: he doesn't have the raccoon tail though. no
1: he doesn't binks is all grown up now he's not doing that bleached hair but yeah when i started watching this dvd the other night i noticed this scene like looks really bad and then the rest of the movie looks much better and at first i thought well maybe they should because this camera's all swinging around it's a long tracking shot maybe they had to shoot this on a 16 millimeter camera but then i realized all the opening credits are during that long shot so i think it was just the softness of the optical titles being matted in the way they used to do like you ever notice that, Trev? When you watch DVDs or Blu-rays of old movies, like you put it in, you're like, "Oh man, this Blu-ray looks like shit," but it's really just the credits part looks like shit.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. By the way, when I rewatched this, and I, I I thought this was Jason Hervey.
1: You you it really looks like him, especially with the hair. I think he was yeah. probably a little bit. I don't know. He probably he he might have been a little younger than this kid is. Like, I think Hervey probably would have been, uh, appearance-wise, would have looked the way he did in Monster Squad around this time. Because I think these both came out at, like, 86.
0: This kid's definitely wearing about as 80s of a t-shirt as you can get.
1: Yeah, me and uh, Corey covered that when we did the uh, the burning. And, mm-hmm. uh, f- like, fake football shirts <laughs> were a big deal in the 80s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fake. I don't, I mean, actually, no, I remember having one when I was, like, really, really small. Like, three or four years old. But in general, like, I didn't really grow up wearing fake football shirts. You know what's funny is um, th- who this kid in this movie is, and obviously it's not this kid because this kid was maybe not even born then, but this fucking kid to me, especially if you buzz this kid's hair, he's a dead ringer for Lucas Black.
0: Oh, I can see that, yeah.
1: Yeah, like especially in the face. So basically if people aren't following along at home, this is the part of the movie where um, this kid, 16-year-old kid probably, Drives up on a motor scooter, delivers some groceries, and he finds this lady. We're about to get it here in a second. You know, nobody's home. He's knocking on the door. Hey, where are you, lady? He walks straight into a room, and, like, he's looking. And creep me out, this is bright daylight. Mm-hmm. He's looking to the left. He's looking to the right. Then he notices an a de- old lady's corpse hanging from the ceiling, hung herself. How do you walk in that room <laughs> without
0: seeing no, that people not didn't, People didn't have the same kind of peripheral vision back in the no. 80s, you know?
1: And, you know, I got to say, I didn't even question that scene because it was a great suspense, kind of cold open scene there. This, you know, delivering some groceries and then this lady's just hanging dead. Very shocking moment for sure. But uh, why did she order the groceries if she was getting ready to hang herself?
0: <laughs> well, who knows what? Maybe she ordered the groceries before the house got to her, you know?
1: That could be. I do.
0: By the way, I feel bad for the priest in this uh, funeral scene because he's definitely going to have to go buy a new Bible. That thing is getting soaked in the rain.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he's just totally. You know Sean Cunningham being the thrifty independent film producer that he probably got that that uh Bible out of the hotel room that the crew was staying in and then he just returned it all soggy and shit. <laughs> okay, now we go from uh we were introduced to our main character there, William Cat, who we don't know in that scene. Greatest American of, hero himself. Yeah, greatest American hero. We don't know exactly who he is in that scene. But we just understand, okay, this woman was his aunt. He's at the funeral. It's very whatever. And then we do, like, this weird kind of bizarre Star Wars-type wipe into this, like, From it goes from a kind of really downbeat funeral scene to this really wacky, like, in-your-face, fisheye lens yeah. bo- book signing. And we find out he's a a great horror writer. I don't even know if I'll go as much to say as he's a Stephen King type. I kind of got the feeling he was more of a Dean Koontz ripoff. But I don't know. What did you think, Tripp?
0: Uh, I guess I would read it more. Yeah, I would think of more as, like, Dean Koontz. But I, I do want to ask, do you think that one fan that was just there a moment was, ago was supposed to look like Mark David Chapman?
1: You know, I didn't think about that, but you know, we were talking briefly before the uh, the show about the, that movie The Fan, which was criticized for some Mark David Chapman similarities. And I actually think that is a very good possibility, because he really, uh, and he was, like, the one fan who was, like, really disappointed when uh, William Katz answered his question,
0: so... Mm-hmm. I mean, the one nice thing about that scene, though, in terms of how strangely it's filmed, and like, the, the fisheye perspective, is right away you get a, a pretty good indication that this movie is going to be not just horror, right, but it's yeah. also going to be wacky and goofy. Very wacky. And they're really, it's they're sexy. throwing their horror comedy cards down on the table pretty quickly here.
1: Yeah. It just was a weird <laughs> transition from the funeral to that. Because, like, the, <laughs> the, like, those characters, the quote-unquote fans, they, they pretty much well, paint the fact that this guy has the most annoying fans in the world.
0: Well, I'll probably I'll probably bring this up a couple times during this episode, but I think one of the maybe one of the charms of the movie, but also one of the weaknesses at different times, uh, is the fact that I'm just going to throw it out there. I don't really think Steve Miner is the best director in the world.
1: No, and there's some pretty
0: yeah, and he makes some pretty odd decisions here. Like right here, like what's with this like sudden close up? of William Cat looking at the microwave dinners in the fridge. You didn't need that at all. There's right. just a lot of weird decisions like that. I also want to point out, check out how long he programs the microwave for it with this microwave dinner. I know it's this the other night. Thirty <laughs> minutes.
1: Oh was it? Holy oh, <laughs> yeah. it's gonna be burnt to Chris. <laughs> you know that it's a very low uh power micro
0: that's a very low wattage microwave.
1: Let's talk let's talk about Steve Miner for a second here. Um got a director um I think kind of unfairly got pigeonholed in the horror genre, maybe. Uh, especially because it seems like in recent years, you know, his attitude toward whatever, it seemed like he, that that wasn't really his plan, wasn't really what he was into. But uh, am I getting my chronologically wrong here, Trevor? Uh, was he just coming off, what, Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3, I think it was?
0: Uh, he was, yeah. Because he even says in the commentary on this that uh, part of the big reason he wanted to do this film and really wanted to push the comedy element... Was that he wanted to get out of horror, and he was really hoping that if he did this and it was a success, that would show people he could do more. And actually, it did kind of work. After this was a hit, he was he directed Soul Man next, um,
1: right? The, uh, so he
0: was able uh, to kind of get get away from horror for a bit. You
1: know? well, by, by the way, in, you know, in case we have some younger listeners who quite you, you don't remember every movie from these Soul Man was a movie where. Uh, See Thomas Howe pl- portrayed a young white gentleman who dresses in blackface to g- to get a scholarship to go to college. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: Now known as one of the most racially insensitive films of all time.
0: But I mean, I don't like. I I don't want to sound like I'm insulting Miner too much because mm-hmm. I mean, he made Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, which is one of my favorite entries. I I love Lake Placid. Um, I yeah. think this is an interesting film. I mean, it's just that. I'll say there's a lot of he makes a lot of odd decisions, and I think we have another moment coming up where it kind of just fades like it's going to commercial break. Right, and we just kind of full of weird, weird things like that that aren't as slick as uh, this might have been in the hands of a, like a slightly more uh, proficient director. Yeah, I mean, but he, then again, I guess we were spared at least. Sean Cunningham didn't direct this.
1: <laughs> yeah, Sean Cunningham would have been really cut and dry, I think, and I think this movie needed that touch of like, and obviously. Um, Steve Miner was kind of itching to, you know, kind of do something out of the, the ordinary here, but I think this movie could have been really, um, you know, could have been really pedestrian with, with somebody who wasn't trying to do that. So yeah, so Steve Miner, he does Friday the 13th, part 2, 3, uh, Soul Man in House, they were the same year, I'm not sure which one he made first, uh, then he does Warlock, Warlock was actually pretty good. And then he, he goes on to some some big-time movies here, like Forever Young with Mel Gibson, um, another movie that kind of pushed the comedy, and like, yeah, and then, you know, a lot of TV kind of, and then uh, Halloween H2O, which he's known for, Lake Placid, and ever since then, he, you know, he's had some unfortunate things where some of his movies that weren't meant to be ended up going direct-to-video, like uh, Texas Rangers and uh, the Day of the Dead remake, and... I think the day of the dead remake unfortunately kinda knocked his career out. I don't yeah. see him recovering from that, but so yeah, so we got a little bit of William Katz there. Um turns out he is divorced or I guess maybe separated, um, from his wife who uh is like a uh, they never say well actually no, she is she's a soap opera actress, right? Yeah,
0: she's a pretty famous soap opera yeah. actress.
1: Very good looking woman, I think. I actually wish she was got more screen time in this movie. But uh, William and Kat, you know, a lot of these dream sequences, and there are a lot of dream sequences in this film, they pretty much are either about his traumatic Vietnam uh, experience or his son going missing. And they kind of slowly dole out that, you know, kind of, you know, why, why is this guy's life in shambles? Why is it so dysfunctional, you know? And uh, basically... They reveal later his his you know in a magical way his his boy went missing at the house in the pool he jumped and tried to save him but the boy completely vanished so you know
0: yeah now, this might be a, this might be an interesting interesting episode and hopefully this is allowed on here because I get the feeling that after revisiting this recently and I think I've kind of hinted this to you but I have a feeling you enjoyed it more than I do uh, I yeah, I, li- I liked this, it quite a bit on this revisit because. <laughs> I really feel like, and I was excited to do this, you'll remember, but I feel like I was wearing a nostalgia, like, pretty thick nostalgia glasses on this one, right. and I feel like I had a different experience with And it's not to say I, I I see no value in it, that I don't, that I hate it or anything, because there's a lot of stuff I do like, but there's a lot of things about this that kind of threw me off, too, and I'll certainly talk about those as they come up.
1: Well, it's... But- yeah, I mean, it's very, I feel like this movie is very much a kitchen sink movie, and some of the stuff works, and some of it really yeah. doesn't. You gotta be yeah, kind and of...
0: Yeah, and, and I guess what I I I guess what I will say is, I do like the fact that it's just throwing everything at you. Yeah. But you have to, but I have to admit that, like you just said, there are certain sequences that on an individual level really kind of bother me, and I also, and I know it's not always fair to, like, criticize a movie for what it's not, but I feel like... There's this really great movie about this Vietnam vet who's suffering from PTSD and is living in a house that might be haunted, but it might just be part of his kind of mental breakdown. Mm-hmm. But that's not the movie that they made, unfortunately. And I think yeah. there's like a stronger version of this that could exist. But uh, And I'll, I'll talk about that as those kind of sequences come up. I think sometimes they they undercut what could have been a much stronger film. But who what the hell do I know? This is a big hit and they got a sequel right away. So, you know,
1: yeah, I think this is like, in a weird way, like in a weird way, this is almost like, like how sometimes they kind of loosely remake movies from the past, but they do it now in the modern style. And I think the whole, just getting shit thrown at you kitchen sink style really was popular, especially in horror at this time. Like, you know, if a movie had great effects or great fantasy sequences, it didn't necessarily have to have the best, most coherent plot. I think in a lot of weird ways, this was kind of an attempt, maybe on paper, and then I think maybe it changed in the shooting and editing of it. But I think in a weird way, this was kind of an attempt to make, like, a suburban, more down-to-earth, kind of drive-in circuit-type kind of... I won't go as far as say a ripoff, but almost an homage to the shining. Can't you see that at all
0: I guess i mean did you, I mean did you read the backstory was that I mean Fred decker was like really um in, inspired by the success of the Twilight Zone movie, and he he kind of wanted to try and develop his own anthology film like that, and when that didn't when that fell apart, the story he was working on for like the, what would have been his segment in that anthology film he just took and for, like developed a feature length and that's what became house. And I think think you can sometimes feel that, that this is, like, this might have been, like, a 30-minute idea, you know, and and sometimes you can feel the pressure of it being pulled uh, to about, you know, 90 minutes or whatever it is.
1: Because right now we're kind of in the flashback slash stream where, where, uh, like I said, his son went missing in the pool. And, uh, like, it's a little disorienting because, like, it kind of flashes to, like, present day where he's doing stuff, and then he's remembering, he's seeing the son, and then the son's gone. It's like, you kind of don't know what's real, but obviously... Like, in that moment, like, this is, like, the real flashback of, like, what happened. And yeah. I always thought it was kind of weird that, like, I don't know. I guess maybe they were just visiting the ant or whatever, but it seemed weird. Like, when you watch that flashback in the flashback, it almost seems like they lived there. But I don't think that was the case.
0: No, it's that is really confusing. He does say, like, pretty soon here that he, he grew up here. So he did live here for a time. But then, yeah, when his son went missing, I would have to assume they were just visiting. Because I don't see why a famous soap opera star would sure. be living there, you know. Sure. Exactly. By the way, I can't believe how casual this guy is about oh, the fact that he almost murders a, him with this spear gun.
1: Yeah, he's a Here we have and I, you know, and I don't know the chronologically chronology. I wish I could talk tonight of when was shot and what happened, but I, there's a lot of things in this and I think maybe it might have been too soon for them to even rip it off, but there's so many similarities to Evil Dead 2 in this. And like this garage like reminds me of the the woodshed. And like, just has all these like way too many like gardening instruments, scuba, spear shooting, and like that guy's just fucking around and like almost nails William Cat right in the face <laughs> with the spear from the spear gun. And like, not only is he casual about like almost killing him, but William Cat's like he really no cells, <laughs> almost dying mm-hmm. right there
0: one thing i will say does really pull me through this film and i feel like whenever we do one of these episodes people there's probably like a certain segment of the popular uh you know the listeners that laugh at us for how much we like some of these actors and maybe <laughs> overvalue them yeah but i do think william katt actually gives a really strong lead performance in this and i watch this and think like geez, he seems like someone who should have been like the lead in a lot more movies you know exactly, <laughs> around this time
1: exactly i mean the only thing i can think and even though it was somewhat fashionable at the time the only thing i can think that maybe did william cat in was maybe the curly hair like you mm-hmm. don't see a you don't see a lot of like really in modern day like there was some in the 50s and stuff, but you don't see a lot of like really popular actors with curly hair it's, it's weird yeah, thing true. to bring up but that just kind of because i mean he's like, you know in like i was kind of surprised by how buff william cat was in this because i just always thought of him more as a comedic guy but
0: yeah but well, that's the thing is, I, we know he can pull off the comedy, but he also shows in this film that he's, I mean, it's, even though this is a comedic movie, very little of the humor comes from him. He's really just giving kind of a standard, you know, leading man performance with a lot of stoicism and inner turmoil, and, and, he, and he, I, he does it well, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll get into it a little more later when his character pops up, but it's. I find this time really fascinating when you could, when, like, you could pluck somebody off of a sitcom. Oh, I guess. William Catt was from Greatest American Hair too, but, but, like, you could pluck people off sitcoms and, like, in the sitcoms shooting off-season, you could get them to do, like, really low-budget, like, you know, quote-unquote classless movies. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's a really interesting time in filmmaking back then.
0: It'd be like if Matthew Perry played, like, The Blind Man in Don't Breathe or something. Exactly.
1: It, it it could fucking happen, you know. It, Which, by the way,
0: I made... would watch that in a... Oh,
1: yeah. I'd say remake it now, even though that movie's still in (laughs) theaters. But no, yeah, I mean, that's kind of an interesting point you you bring up. You know, you wonder if people snicker at us for really enjoying some of these, like, minor actors and these minor performances in these films. But I gotta say, if anything is good about the modern era of movie watching, being so home-based around streaming services or discs or people having their own home theaters, is that shit's kind of the... uh, the uh the great equalizer like i mean more people are like watching stuff like not only on the small screen now but watching stuff from like you know years ago and stuff you know what i mean so
0: you know, well like, and to be fair we're we're getting to a point too where it's just known that there's not really superstars anymore right, right like right. you know, have people talk about tom cruise is the last movie star right and yeah. like now there's there's somewhat there's people that are more marketable than others but there's really not; they're not building mega stars anymore. So maybe we'll get back to it in a couple of years. Maybe we'll get back to a t- point where someone like William Cat can lead like a big release.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, she's not the star of it or anything. But I mean, the kind of the biggest thing in the zeitgeist right now is Netflix's uh, show Stranger Things. And the the only person that I, I haven't watched it yet, but the only person I know for a fact that's in it that has any sort of name is Winona Ryder in, in reality. Mm-hmm. She's not a box office oh, straw whatsoever. What
0: a slam to Matthew Modine.
1: <laughs> oh, he's in it. Too. Oh, I love Matthew yep. Modine. I didn't I didn't know he was in it. I apologize, Matthew Modine.
0: We know you're listening, so we we are sorry, though. About-
1: <laughs> you know what sucks is we do know he's listening and I just want, you know, he, I'm not saying he even has to like Skype in, but just write us a letter or something mm-hmm. so, you know, we could we can incorporate you in some way into this yeah, uh, throw podcast, us a bone, Matthew you know? Modine. Come on. Okay, this is the moment. This is Kind of in ghost lore or whatever, where sometimes people see a ghost, but it's more of a replay. And this, this is kind of he gets to interact with his uh, aunt here, who's uh, you know redoing her hanging or whatever. I actually thought that was one of the few moments in, the, um, you know, it's old whatever corny dissolve effect. But when the the lady hangs herself and just jumps and disappears in there, that was like one of the few uh, spots that genuinely kind of gave me the creeps. Other night watching this.
0: Yeah, I know, but it's followed up by a really funny uh, moment where they show the outside of the house, and it's kind of a joke where we see him turning on all the lights. Yeah. What I thought was interesting about it is it it does that thing that you see often in films where there's like a little mini cut in between each light turning on, Mm -hmm. and it made me wonder why couldn't they just have someone standing in each room and actually turn on the lights? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Sean Cunningham was tired of running his ass (laughs) off. Okay, now this is, you know, we just talk about oh, movies being really locked in the 80s or whatever, you know, dated or whatever.
0: You talk about the shirt?
1: Yeah, this shirt, like, how would you describe it? It's a sweater that's also, like, has a v-neck that's, like, almost goes down to your na- navel.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And it would com- completely, like, and then he's wearing, like, docker pants, yes, you know.
1: It's, it's, very, it's quite the look. Yeah. But I guess say, this was the scene that made me notice uh, that he yeah, was no, actually he's actually buff. Yeah,
0: he's in shape, yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of not in shape... Right, but, uh, <laughs>
1: the opposite of in shape.
0: But this is definitely where, I mean, you can't... Like, the movie obviously perks up at this moment, because... Uh, so here we have the introduction of George Went as the next-door neighbor, and, I mean, George Went just what a likable presence, always, right?
1: Yeah. Like, do you remember a time like in the culture and whatever and also like just because you're a kid but do you remember a time when it seemed like george went was the fattest man on earth (laughs) and and like now you see him and he's really like i mean i guess average right yeah he's not i mean he is technically obese but in terms of modern culture you know
0: yeah but i mean we should say too like what what a get for this movie though right Right. like this is this is while Cheers is going on, so the fact that they were able to get Went is a is a pretty big deal, and especially for a role this small, which I'm sure played into why he was able to do it. Right. But
1: like I, f- I feel like they would get these people like okay George Went you're going to work six days and we're going to pay you like a certain amount that would be really good per day mm-hmm. you know what I mean.
0: And what I like about this is that even though we are like in his like the <laughs> like the prime of his like Cheers fame here at this point. This is not a very norm esque character. No, it's it's really really something different.
1: Well, I give him credit too. Uh, Do you remember Dreamscape with uh, Dennis Quaid? mm -hmm. Uh, George Went was also in there and played a really dramatic role compared to Cheers. You know, it was really good.
0: He's a good. He's an underrated actor.
1: Forgive me for not knowing this, but is is George Went currently uh, still with us?
0: He is. He uh, there was a. A sitcom that only lasted one season recently on TBS called Clipped, about like a barbershop, mm. and he was in that. So, uh, and you know he still, he's because uh, he he does have like kind of a uh, a slight horror background. Right? He works with Stuart Gordon quite mm. a bit now, um, and he'll still pop up in, in projects like with him and other smaller horror things. The great episode of Masters of Horror with him. I don't know if you remember that one.
1: I'm trying to think. Maybe Played I didn't see it. Killer. Maybe does it? Is. Does he pretty much look the same, or is his? Uh,
0: yeah, he does. He pretty much looks. Uh, but he hasn't. He has not changed very much. Okay, I love as... to say he's like. He's like super buff now, or something. Right? <laughs> no,
1: I was just thinking that if like he still keeps his hair with like the kind of fro, you know, I'm imagining there's probably a lot more gray in it now, of course, but like I was just yeah. wondering if he still keeps kind of the fro hairdo. I will. I will say like the thing that. I kind of liked about this movie even though like we were saying before like the movie's really uneven like there's some really good scenes there's some okay scenes and then there's some kind of really bad scenes here and there but like the thing that kind of kept me on my toes and I kind of kept this thing rocking and rolling for me the other night was like how much it goes back and forth you know we had all those flashbacks set on what happened to son now he's sitting down to write his vietnam memoir book and we're starting to get the vietnam stuff which the only the the thing the thing that really stood out for me with the vietnam stuff is i wish they could have got william Cat to like cut his hair for the vietnam scenes because
0: and i wish they also could have just actually gone out to some forest instead of filmed on this ridiculous looking set yeah and I think I, I mean I, I mean maybe it's not a fair complaint, but it, it is one of the things that bothers me about this film is that whenever we cut to these Vietnam scenes, it's just so cheap. It really looks like those when uh, Max is putting on his like Vietnam play in Rushmore. Right. That's kind of what this looks like. Like it just it seems so obvious they're on a staged set.
1: Well, not only that, but it's it, it, I mean I guess it is the set you know the set that they're filming on or whatever, but. Um especially at this time there's tons of great vietnam films obviously like oliver stone's platoon a full metal jacket was right around the corner came out a year after this but like yeah this these vietnam scenes they just kind of bug me just because like like you said they should have went out somewhere because the fact that it's studio lighting and stuff it just doesn't have the gritty feel yeah. that i would they could have,
0: because really, since they're flashbacks anyways they could have put some kind of filter over this or a haze you know right. to kind of hide the cheapness of it and i would have uh appreciated that
1: or even just shot it like on some really like lower quality like eight millimeter 16 millimeter film just to give it that yeah. rawness you know
0: well we've also got that thing going on that's a kind of a staple of low budget filmmaking uh, that i've seen where kind of like every soldier in the unit is wearing a slightly different outfit right like they, they, they went to a costume shop and they're like do you have uh six of the same army outfits no we got some different ones ah crap well we'll just go with it
1: you know it just it just would bother i couldn't see william cats having his his uh high maintenance due in vietnam he needed either a buzz cut or to, to, to put a helmet on or something to hide that hair but uh but we've neglected to mention uh kind of his buddy i guess Mm-hmm. And the unit was not only than uh, Richard Mall, who was also a yeah. big, probably Night Court star at this point, right?
0: Yeah. So I, I don't know. Do you think that was like the thinking? Like, let's get the big guy, the big star from Cheers, and the big star from Night Court.
1: I mean, I think. Like, it's how intentional be. was
0: that? Yeah.
1: I think it's got to be just in terms of now. Richard Mall also had a horror background here because he played like the demon, uh, satanic, whatever from that mm-hmm. movie, Evil Speak.
0: Um yeah so and I mean, he's gone on and he's gone on to com- continue appearing in horror, and i mean you you get it i mean you look at him he's a big guy it's it's pretty easy to plug him into these kind of scary villainous roles,
1: yeah but uh but yeah, so like and it's kind of interesting with where it goes later in the movie with richard Mall's character, but um I couldn't quite tell in the Vietnam scenes, like, they weren't really adversaries, right? Like, Richard Mall was just kind of a guy, he was, you know, he was in his unit, he knew him, whatever they...
0: Yeah, it's funny, it's really, it's, when you look at, like, um, synopses and uh, plot descriptions to this film, they usually describe him as, like, his best friend. Right. And it, it's not, I, get, I mean, I think it's, like, the film is trying to insinuate that, but it doesn't really come across, because the first time you see Maul, he is screwing with him, you know, right. and being kind of rude, but I guess... You know, that maybe it's just his personality.
1: Like you think it's almost going to be like a situation with like like I I was kind of you know on rewatching this and kind of my loose memory of it. Like I thought it was going to be almost like I almost thought he was going to be kind of like how Dolph Lundgren's character was in uh Universal Soldier and the Vietnam stuff, like mm-hmm. really sadistic, really murderistic. But he really was just Richard Mall. He was really just kind of a guy who was just starting to lose it a little bit, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Like he enjoyed shooting people a little too much, but he I wouldn't go as far as to say that he was craving the murder, you know what I mean?
0: Now one thing I'll give this movie credit for, uh you probably picked up on this too when you watched the other night, is teasing the uh bathroom mirror jump scare yeah. for the entire movie, but never doing it. Exactly. I, I kinda I kinda love that. That I kept waiting for it and it never and it never does it. And I was like, oh that's nice. You know <laughs>
1: Yeah, and, uh, well, we'll get to it when it happens, but there's a really a great use of the bathroom mirror later on. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, like, I I mean, I don't know, like, I kind of dig this movie, and it, you know, it starts to get a little more absurd here pretty quickly, but, uh, like, at this point, I'm totally, you know, I'm watching this at night, I'm totally on board with watching William Cat nervously open closet doors, and, you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I kind of like this, uh this little chunk of the movie we're in right now where things start to just go a little cuckoo and are playing, you know, on his anxiety.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I I don't have... My, my larger issues aren't really popping up yet, so other than, the, like I said, the Vietnam stuff, but...
1: No, I gotta say, this is a great kind of... Pre-date. Yeah, this is awesome. You know, he... this Like, this monster to me is, like... Like, when I saw this other night, I was like, oh, they ripped this monster off the one from Hellraiser, but I'm like, oh, wait, Hellraiser came out a year later, so... Just a, just a great little, like, uh what would you, would you call that a Lovecraftian type monster?
0: Yeah, kind of a Lovecraftian, like, tree monster or something. Yeah, uh,
1: multiple heads, monster heads, human heads fused into flesh,
0: big claws. And one thing you certainly won't hear me complain about with this movie is the, the practical effects and, and the creature designs, which are all awesome and what really kind of, you know, save a lot of the other, you know, issues.
1: Yeah, kind of make this more memorable. So here, here we have Cat. He's starting to lose it a little bit. He's he's got his stuff delivered to the house. I, I'm assuming he's going to live at the house full time now. Um, he sets up a, a, a array of probably what eight to ten video cameras. He's trying mm-hmm. to recreate that monster jumping out. He wants to capture it. And obviously, he's he has... trying to make
0: the first paranormal activity. <laughs>
1: yeah, he really is. And he's got some great uh, stair jumping here. He just jumped down a whole flight of stairs.
0: Well, or somebody did.
1: Yeah, that's true. But he's doing it in a weird comedic way, which I really don't get, because, like, at first when he, like, pulled the string to open the closet door, you know, he's expecting the monster to come running out to try and try to catch it on videotape, and he goes running. Like, I thought he was legit trying to, like, run out of the house until he started, like, getting all musical with it at the end.
0: For the, I, this is, the for whatever reason, the image of him in the army outfit and, like, opening that closet door with all the video cameras, that's the thing I always remembered about this film. Like, yeah. when I would... Think about it because I hadn't seen it in you know, yeah, a, a long time. I, hadn't I, I seen definitely remembered that.
1: Yeah, I hadn't seen it all the way through. I don't think since the theater, and I think I've only caught bits and pieces on cable throughout the years. Uh, yeah,
0: because yeah, even as a kid, I definitely watched House Two a lot more on cable. Yeah.
1: Whereas this one, I don't know. Like like this one, it is a horror comedy, but it's I don't know. It's it's hard to say. I I, I, I still always kind of. I still feel a little bit like it's got more more of its uh, foot into the horror realm.
0: Oh, yeah. I think why I'm, I probably prefer House 2 is because it just leans into the wackiness more. Yeah. So I am I can forgive some of the flaws more. Whereas this one, because it is trying to be scary but not quite pulling it off, I think maybe that's what throws me off a little.
1: Because I looked up the release date of this, and I figured out... And by the way, I loved this movie when it came out when I was a kid. And I looked up the release date, and I figured out... Uh, the reason it was because I was eight years old at the time, and I gotta say, like, this movie has a great mix for probably somebody eight years old of, oh, yeah. of actual scary stuff to where you don't feel like you're watching a baby movie, but still being silly enough to where a kid's gonna like it, you know what I mean?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, this is great, like, introductory horror, for sure.
1: Yeah. Like, this is almost like the more mature Goosebumps. <laughs>
0: Well, yeah, this is actually like this is actually the the kind of horror movie they don't make anymore. And when Goosebumps came out last year, mm. I'm sure you were you saw some of the discussions, uh, we, like I had yeah. with some of our other friends about, oh, I'm glad they're finally making you know like kids horror again. And then I ended up not being super into it, but I, this is maybe more what I was hoping for, you know.
1: Well, I'll I say it was last uh, fall or winter. It was almost like a tiny resurgence between Goosebumps and Krampus coming out that were kind of you know in that yeah genre. well
0: i think yeah crap probably nailed it a little more but yeah but i definitely miss the days of films like this and monster squad where oh yeah you know you're getting these horror films that are that are fine for kids to watch but still a little creepy and have some real kind of intense gory even moments
1: and i gotta say i mean obviously they picked a great house to be the haunted house in this movie but there's so many like you know establishing shots of just the house's exterior but i think it really works you know what i mm-hmm. mean just to tie all these little scenes. Because, like, I mean, at this point in the movie right here, uh, it's getting kind of formless in a way. You know what I mean? Like, he's not really interacting with anybody. It's just him pulling these hijinks in the house, trying to capture the monster on videotape or whatever. But I think, like, you know, all the little connecting pieces of the house and, you know, George Went is to Now, this is total sitcom shit here where the neighbor just drops by, like, literally breaks into your house to hang out with you. <laughs> That's sitcom 101 right there.
0: Well, I guess this is the most normal moment the week because he brings like a whole tray of just beer.
1: Yeah, let's sit around and drink this beer, all, you know, until it, get, until it gets too warm.
0: I do like to, I feel like at least when I saw it as a kid, it might have been one of the first films. Um, and it's. I think it's still fairly unique. I guess maybe Paranormal Activity again would, would, would fall into this. But the idea of a haunted house being just kind of in the middle of a neighborhood. You know, it's, it's usually yeah. way more... You, you you can be part of a street or something, but it's usually set off from all the other houses. Yeah. And I like that here he has just neighbors on both sides, people across the street. Like, it's this really scary, evil house, but just kind of, you know, on a block.
1: Yeah, I like the stories and movies and TV shows where it's like... You know, it's not this—you know—out of the way, gothic, dark, dilapidated, whatever. It's just like yeah. there's that spooky house that the kids run by, like at night. You know, they don't want to.
0: And even this, I kind of like that. This one doesn't even on the outside. It doesn't even look like that, right? Everyone no. would just assume it's a normal house. But the person on the inside is experiencing the truth of it.
1: Exactly. And uh, it's just, it just, I mean, it's really just more, the only thing that's really om- ominous about it is just that the uh, the house is so old and kind of older okay. architecture, you know what I mean? But, I mean, it's, to- it's painted, like, pretty, fairly bright blue or whatever. Like, it's not, you know, I mean, this isn't, like, Count Dracula's castle <laughs> or whatever.
0: Yeah. And I guess maybe that's, again, why I wish, and not to sound like a broken record, but I, I still maybe prefer if they had just pushed forward the idea more that it's not even haunted right it's just right. in his head
1: yeah and i mean that totally is like kind of up until this moment where he actually has the scratches even though i guess technically he could scratch himself yeah but...
0: no there's a moment later that i think breaks it for me but yeah. i'm sure you can probably guess what it is but yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh but yeah like you, there's really a strong element of you know not knowing if it's really happened or not i think mm-hmm. this is a, a interesting thing here that's really of the 80s era like i guess I, I guess it's political correctness i don't know now would stop this but uh if there is an overweight person in the 1980s film so like they had to be like either eating nonstop or wanting to be nonstop. stop do you remember <laughs> this
0: <laughs> yeah no yeah
1: i mean i don't know it's weird
0: but maybe it's just an actor thing, right? Like George Went and wants some business to do, right? So he's not yeah. just sitting there at the table listening to this story. What I, I really do like watching this again, though, I just was like, run of what, what a great character this the Went character is!" Because they really could have just played him as like the bumbling neighbor, right—the guy who mm-hmm. wants to get involved a little too much, uh, or the sycophantic fan, which we saw him pull out the paperback out of his pants earlier. And but here we see that he's genuinely concerned about this guy, even though they've only been friends for like a day or so. Right. Yeah. He, but he's actually really worried about him and he wants to like, make sure he's okay. And I, I like that, that they, they give this, there's a, a real level of humanity. To this character makes you care a little bit more.
1: And I'll tell you what, that's what I like about this movie. I mean, it goes off in a million strange directions, but like just when it's about to lose you and it's like fucking goofiness, like there is like little touches like that that remind you, Oh, this is kind of a real movie too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know, like, I kind of miss, uh, and I'll be honest, I I wasn't really aware of this, I mean, other than probably this movie, I wasn't really aware of Sean Cunningham's movies, like, the ones he was producing and stuff while they were coming out, you know, I mean, I probably saw a lot of them, but, like, this and The New Kids, like, they're actually really, really, I think, high-quality, low-budget, you know, kind of independent releases.
0: I saw he produced Deep Star Six too.
1: Yeah, that was another great movie. Well, <laughs> I use the term "great movie" loosely, <laughs> yeah, but I mean great for what it was. I'll say right. That. Yeah, I actually rewatched that on no DVR to HD showing of it on cable m- maybe a year and a half ago. I still really like it. Mm-hmm. I, you know, that whole that whole era of like making the same movie at the same time, you know. Uh, there was obviously the big showdown between Deep Star 6 and Leviathan, and, you know, unfortunately they both kind of flopped, but I actually thought both movies were good in their own
0: ways. Well, I think they both got overshadowed by The Abyss, right?
1: Right. But even The Abyss kind of disappointed, too. Maybe it was just a thing of, like, kind of splitting the, the, the pie a little too much, you know what I mean? Yeah. Here we go to another El Cheapo Vietnam flashback. Yeah, it looks
0: slightly better at night, though. Yeah. You know, it without does. that like, lighting you were talking about, but still pretty pretty cheap. Yeah. And later, there is a moment, like in the climax, where, and they say, they talk about it in the commentary, where they, it was like kind of a pickup. It was something they added in, where they actually went out to a real, like, you know, wooded location. And it, it definitely sticks out because you're like suddenly like, hey, this looks a lot better.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, do- it doesn't look like a closet with a bunch of. <laughs> ferns and leafy ferns put into
0: it. Things like Zach Galifianakis should be sitting here doing a talk show. That's how fake the ferns are.
1: Richard in between the ferns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I gotta say, it's kind of sad, and I, I, I haven't really checked on him real recently about what he's been doing, but it's kind of sad once I saw William Cat was doing Asylum movies a few years back.
0: I don't think there's any shame in that, but you know I like the Asylum, so.
1: Well, I mean, I don't think there's any shame in the silent movies either. I just, you know, some of the ones that, like, I've checked out because they've had actors in it, I like, like, Richard Rico, Mark Dacascos. It's kind of, like, you, you kind of watch it because of the actors in it you like, but then you watch it, and even if it's not a, technically a bad, like, whatever, like, you always feel like the actors got wasted because they had nothing to really say or do or, you know, mm-hmm. you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: I believe uh, William Cat was in the... uh one of the earlier ones, I think, it was like the fake Alien vs. Predator movie, I believe. Alien vs. Hunter or some bullshit.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was it, yeah. Yeah.
1: I just remember... So they it.
0: couldn't even be bothered to change the first part, no.
1: right? I just remember because I think I actually remember seeing it on the uh, the shelves right before I ended my video store uh, clerk career.
0: I'm so lazy, the guy with this kind of design of like, just <laughs> Richard Mould just says like, Chicken wing bones on his helmet.
1: Yeah, I know. Like, he got them from catering that day and shit. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely has the feel of, like, their costumes and shit. Definitely has the feel of, like, we don't want to get these things too dirty before we return them to the prop house, you know? So, <laughs> everybody drink the <laughs> fucking machine gun bullets.
0: Now uh, since there's kind of a lull here I-, I was looking at some trivia about this film, and um this is gonna, i I wonder if this is going to like boggle your mind as much as it does mine. It says that in nineteen eighty seven Richard mole and Kay Lenz were both nominated for Saturn awards for this film now Richard mole, okay, wow. but Kay Lenz, who plays like the you know the estranged wife yeah uh, how few female performances were there that year? Really? To where she's being nominated for any kind of award for this. She's got, what, eight lines in this film, if that? Uh, barely in it. That's just so bizarre.
1: I remember always reading the winners of this, the Saturn Awards in the back of Starlock <laughs> Magazine. <laughs> I, I think Kay Lenz being nominated was just a case of a bunch of nerds Wanting her to show up at the event. Yeah, yeah. It's like, man, maybe if we nominate her, she'll show up and look hot in a dress, you know? Because earlier there was a scene of her at an awards show looking hot. Yeah, and this is where um, when when Cat's starting to see the toys and shit from his son laying around the house. And, uh you know, the early part of the movie, it's kind of like, is this shit really happening or am I going crazy? But now, like, when a fucking swordfish starts, like, jumping and singing <laughs> while it's mounted yeah, to the wall. Yeah, it's
0: like the, the birth of Big boss Billy Bass or whatever. Right? Yeah.
1: It's like the McDonald's commercials with the t- singing fish and shit. Like, like like I'm not going to lie, because like, I kind of forgot how goofy this movie was when I was watching it. Like, when this moment happened the other night, and he's, like, bludgeoning a big rubber fish that's hanging on the wall, I was kind of like, holy fuck. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I guess it was the 80s. Like, nobody was yeah. really kind of splitting the comedy or whatever down the middle. They were really going for it and being nuts, you know. This is the uh, woodshed moment where he starts looking for shit in the garage Mm. and there is like a whole arsenal of like even like some shotguns and
0: shit in the garage yeah it's like right behind them I mean mean, they'll come into play later yeah
1: I don't know on a fear meter you're in this creepy house your aunt just hung herself the week before the fish starts dancing (laughs) how soon are you running out or is that perfectly fine and it's like Free rent. I'll put up with a, a demonically possessed fish.
0: Yeah, well, I know this is California, right? Rent—it's yeah. not cheap. No, California, you might—you
1: so. might have to dodge these axes all night. Yeah, what's, what's the iron?
0: occasional flying, you know, axe at the head?
1: Yeah, the garden instruments just start flying around here. And and I, I got to ask because I was kind of trying to mull this over in my head the other day, watching this. What do you think is like making? the the guard gardening instruments fly off the wall and kind of follow them around the house do you think they're they're like coming at first I was like oh they're coming alive but i'm like well that wouldn't make them fly do you think there are like actual ghosts that we can't see making those things I,
0: I, fly around i mean i not to not to like downgrade your question or anything but i think it really is a matter of it doesn't matter yeah. uh, because this this really is the kind of film that it, it's established that this is like a haunted house right mm-hmm. But we, we never get a sense, really, of what is the power that lives in this house or what is the life force. So, I mean, we don't know if these are ghosts, demons, what. And it really is the kind of, it's just a catch-all catch-as-you-can kind of thing where let's just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. And we have some apparitions. We have um, axes that come to life. We have a fish that comes to life. I don't know, I can't explain any of it, and I doubt the writer could either, you know?
1: Now, how much of that wackiness there, when you were watching this Saturday Night Trip, how much of that wackiness there did you take as the Evil Dead rip-off?
0: Yeah, I mean, it definitely feels like it, right? It feels so much like it. Yeah. Like, it almost, it it does feel like kind of a sanitized, safer version of Evil Dead too.
1: Yeah. Like, literally, for people who aren't watching this movie, these... These shovels, these scythes, these whatever, they're just floating around the house. Like, literally falling around the house.
0: But, I mean, if you're going to ask, like, what are, like, are those actually coming to life? That's no different than Evil Dead 2. Like, is that lamp actually coming to life or is something moving it? Yeah,
1: I guess that's true. I mean, I I didn't have a major problem. I was just trying to figure out what the fuck was going on, you know?
0: This is the dress that they wanted Kay Lenz to wear, yeah center.
1: I would have been happy if Kay Lenz would have showed up to my award show now th- like I feel like this was a great kind of horror movie thing that lasted for quite a while but now gone is when a beautiful woman transforms into like a hideous beast. Mm-hmm. you don't really see that that much anymore, and of course he shoots the hideous beast with the shotgun and then next thing he knows the hideous beast looks like his wife again so he thinks he's murdered his wife and i gotta say like watching this night because then we see george went like wakes up and he's looking and he just sees him standing over the body with a shotgun but he doesn't even see that there's a body there so we can't see either is that really the beast is it really his wife is there actually nothing there like what is he reacting to Mm-hmm. and uh when you were watching this again like did it change because it kind of changed the movie for me when i thought like maybe he accidentally killed his wife
0: uh yeah i don't know i feel like i was i was pretty suspicious of it just because how quickly she got there and the fact that when we saw her talk to george when she said she wouldn't be able to make it right um so i feel like there was like a kind of a suspicious element to it but uh but it is it's a nice misdirect in e- either way and it, and it 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 follows through with it for quite a while.
1: Yeah, because it really, like, I was like, okay, this is starting, I mean, because the scene before, like, he's got, he shoots a fucking big rubber fish on the wall, and, and like, now he's very horrifically trying to find a place to stuff his wife's dead body in, like, Mm -hmm. and i was really like is he still the good guy now or is he just a guy who's so crazy like we can't even root for him as a hero you know what i mean
0: well right and that's where like again we're talking about the kind of the the film i wanted to see right yeah like i wouldn't be opposed to a version of this where he had just shot his wife and like the film just starts going down this really dark path but but the the other nice thing about this sequence is it gives us more of what we were talking about with went earlier where he, he instantly calls the police and Says, you know, I think my neighbor's going to commit suicide, you know, right. so again, see like uh, a level of concern there.
1: And the cops show up right away. And of course, Will Cap Cap goes running out to grab the guy. I would be afraid to like just grab a rifle and be waving it around in front of like four police officers. I think this movie took place now. This would be the final scene of the movie. They just would shoot him <laughs> just to be safe.
0: Now, this is interesting. One of the cops here is Stephen Williams.
1: Yeah, I was just going to I do And
0: I don't know when they uh, did the commentary for this, but, uh, like, Sean S. Cunningham is on the commentary, and they're talking about Stephen Williams and, and mentioning some of the things he's done, and they, they don't talk at all about him being Creighton Duke in uh, Jason Goes to Hell. So maybe it was before that? I don't know. I that seems unlikely, but...
1: Yeah, it's just... Uh...
0: Or maybe Sean S. Cunningham just likes to pretend that Jason goes to hell didn't happen. I think the only way like that Like many of us do. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think the only way that could be possible is if that commentary track was ported over from an old ass laser disc. That's the only mm-hmm. way, right?
0: Yeah, but I think they even say it's DVD, so I don't okay, know. Okay,
1: yeah. And also, uh the thing that, you know, screen you know, totally jumped out when I saw him here other than being in the movie obviously playing a police officer this is like right before uh, 21 Jump Street
0: mm-hmm.
1: where he played uh, Captain
0: Right. so this is like finally like Cheers, Night Court and 21 Jump Street all coming together and <laughs>
1: yeah, Greatest American Hero yeah I'm trying to think of anybody else in this movie I think this is a great you know, sequence too, where the, it's like, oh no, I just, uh, you know, because they were ready to arrest him and they realize he's like the famous author or whatnot. They're like, oh hell, that's right. And I, and I really like the uh, kind of bias they have. Like, they're totally willing to let him get away with any crime he wants to, it seems like, because he's a <laughs> famous writer.
0: Yeah. It's just because, like, when I was watching it, uh, I was wondering. Maybe you can speak to this too. Did you wonder about like why he even is a famous author in this movie? Because it doesn't really add much no. to the story. It does, and but I mean it it plays in right there where he said like maybe they give him a little bit more benefit of the doubt because he's a known figure. But other than that, it wouldn't really matter if he was just like an accountant or a plumber. You know, like I mean, it, it's it's not capitalized on as much as it could have been.
1: No, I mean the only thing I can think of is just to kind of glam it up. Because, I mean, okay, he's a famous writer, and he has a hot soap opera wife. Like, it just, it's, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's total fantasy land.
0: I'm just surprised they don't play more. I think maybe went mentioned something like this once, but I'm surprised they don't play it more, the idea of people being like, well, of course you believe this is happening, you write about it all the time, and it's just getting to you.
1: Well, also, too, I, I feel like maybe him being a writer, the main purpose of that was just so they could easily transition to the Vietnam flashbacks because he's writing the book, and he's yeah. you know re- you know it's it's I mean you're, it's supposed to be that he's typing this out for the book. I'm assuming the way they kind of set it up with him constantly sitting down to the old ass computer typewriter thing, and then he goes into the flashback. But it's the only thing I can think of.
0: It's funny because an article I read about how it's talked about how it was it was they they were making a case for being kind of groundbreaking at the time because this is when. Uh, we were just starting as a society to kind of address things like PTSD and, and the yeah. problems of, of Vietnam vets, but I was just thinking, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think, like, this movie had, like, the impact on that to say something like Born on the Fourth of July or
1: like,
0: <laughs> Coming Home did, you know, I don't I don't think this is- <laughs>
1: got to rewrite the annals of film (laughs) history. Everybody knows Sean S. Cunningham, Steve Miner. They paved the way for Oliver Stone to tell the story of Ron Kovic and born on the 4th of July. (laughs) Tom Cruise owes his Oscar nominations to William (laughs) course, In
0: that vein, though, if we're talking celebrity fans, I don't know if you saw in the trivia that uh, actor Michael Sheen has called this the greatest movie ever made.
1: Really? I'm sure he's being somewhat sarcastic with that, but he probably does. probably, has has at least seen it, probably.
0: Oh yeah, Michael Sheen uh, actually is kind of a nerd, um, he's into a lot of genre stuff, and I don't know, maybe if they reboot House, you know, he'd be be up for it.
1: I bet he would, because like, you know, I really look at like his career, and like he gets in some really, you know, like just because he, you know, does something like Frost Nixon, he'll still come back and be in like an Underworld sequel, he don't care, you know?
0: He was, like, the only guy in, like, the later Twilight films that kind of knew what he was in and was yeah. really hamming it up.
1: Yeah, I agree with that, yeah. Now, here, when I was watching that Night, this was, for me, this was a huge sigh of relief when he goes and he sees the body is gone from where he hid it under the little stairwell. So I was like, okay, phew. it was just a apparition, whatever, you know. I, Not I really, I,
0: weren't I, like, well, I mean, if she was dead, it would give him free reign to just go for that neighbor, though. That's true, too. You know, really, you got to take the good with the bad sometimes.
1: We didn't really mention, but there is a hot piece of ass neighbor who jogged by, who when she shows up in regular clothes, is not, you know, I, the woman's not unattractive, but it, I, I feel like we were misled into thinking she was a hotter piece of ass than she really was.
0: Well, I'd say she's pretty hot.
1: Yeah.
0: i just say she looks a lot like Kay Lenz, which makes me think that the casting director of this, or maybe it was Sean Cunningham, whoever, has a type. You
1: know? <laughs> he's a type that he likes to masturbate to <laughs> and cast. See, I really like this part too. The misdirect of he's following the uh, the doors that are closing, and then like I love that shot the other night when I was watching this when the monster pops up behind. Now let's talk about this monster. It's a very fat, ugly, pig nosed lady monster. Mm. This was the only kind of thing in the movie where I was like, I felt like just the makeup direction or whatever was like a little t- a little too corny. I, I could have done with something actually a little more scary here.
0: Yeah, a little too cartoony. Yeah. It, 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 I, yeah, I guess. I, I, I could see I could see enjoying a movie that has a lot of monsters that look like this. You're right. But since this is kind of the only one, it is, yeah. uh, it, it sticks out a little too much. Yeah. You it know looks like it something that should be like the Garbage Pail Kids movie or something. Or
1: Yeah, like it, it's very rubbery in nature or whatnot. It really mm-hmm. reminds me of the, uh, if you ever seen Peter Jackson's Bad Taste.
0: Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. kind of reminds me of those creature aliens. In,
0: in recent years, I don't know if you saw a movie called Jack Brooks Monster Slayer.
1: No, but, kinda, but I, I it's know... It's of full okay. of
0: creatures that look like this.
1: Now, i got to say, like, you know, I found that whole flying, like, garden instrument shit really hokey when he was, like, running around But here where he actually opens the door, where he knows the, the garden instruments are just hovering behind, and he actually uses them to kill the monster. I thought that was a great little entertaining touch I I got a kick out of that the other night I'm kind of surprised too the cops (laughs) these are some lousy cops uh, movie fans I'm surprised they really weren't like more thrown like suspiciously the fact that he's wearing like fucking army fatigues and he's a grown (laughs) man
0: yeah, it's never it's usually not a good sign when you go to someone's house and they're in army fatigues and have <laughs> shotgun shells out and a gun. And like, you oh, know, yeah. You know. That's not just a standard like, yeah, we checked on them, everything seems okay.
1: That was the uh wasn't that I should was... <laughs> I never mind, I won't make this joke.
0: <laughs> um, I would probably whatever you're about to say, I'd probably enjoy it, but yeah, maybe. Uh yeah. not everyone. But...
1: There there was a uh there there was a movie recently that that did not have a final scene that it should have had and i, and I, it, it, I think it would have been along those lines but i guess i guess Clint Eastwood's too much of a pussy to go there but well, <laughs> so you know what i'm talking about Trevor? yes uh,
0: yeah, yeah yeah okay enough said now here's you she, don't you don't think she's attractive come she on she she is
1: here i was thinking more when she shows up in the regular clothes like but that's oh, pretty-
0: well that's the, i mean that's the 80s you know what yeah. are you going to do
1: but um, she she really, in this scene where she gets out of the pool and her hair is wet, she really reminded me of Malin Ackerman.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a good call. Yeah. But you do think it's also because she's got like that kind of Swedish accent going? Too?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I actually really liked her like accent. I wanted to hear it more. I was a little bit disappointed when she ended up not having as much screen time later in the movie. Because like, the way it's setting up here, like I thought he's getting the... Uh, like there's gonna be some hijinks where he's trying to really romance this woman while monsters are running all throughout the house. You know what I mean?
0: Well, yeah, but I guess the thinking would be that that we we want to see him reunited with his wife at the end. Yeah. So, but I mean, they're definitely. I mean, it, it, this is all basically just to set up one joke, right? They're playing yeah. her as this seductress, and then later we'll find out really she yeah. just wants him to babysit her kid. Yeah. Um, so it's they're just it's kind of a long con for a joke. Um, but Which, yeah, I wouldn't have I I, I I thought the other night too that. I could kind of see her becoming more of a female lead in this, or, or you know, getting involved in what's happening at the house.
1: At the very least, becoming a damsel in distress for later on. you know what I mean? Yeah. Well,
0: at the very least, being nude. Like it's kind of weird to watch an '80s horror movie that doesn't, you know, have any nudity. But...
1: she is that '80s kind of flat ass too. That long <laughs> flat ass.
0: This is good stuff, though. I like to like the the, the comedy of him like beating the trash bag and yeah,
1: because the monster parts.
0: Cut it up. And... And then, yeah, this, like, cut to, like, all the mini graves all over the backyard.
1: (laughs) The 1980s monster body part graveyard in the backyard.
0: See what I mean? I've never seen a film that's teased the uh, bathroom mirror scare as much as this one has. Oh,
1: you think it's coming. You're, like, you know, you're on the edge of your seat waiting for it to happen. I mean, that has to be intentional, don't you think, with the way Steve Miner's really trying to play with the conventions of the horror genre here? You know, I've actually heard rumors throughout the years, and it never came to pass that this film would get remade. Would you be up for that at all?
0: Yeah, I mean, I would, but at the same time, it really is like... um it's the kind of thing where what's what's a house remake, right? Yeah. It's not the most in-depth like story or anything. I mean, if you're just making, it's
1: some silly shit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's what is like you just make a movie like any movie that's about a haunted house. I guess you could call a house remake, right?
1: Yeah.
0: All it is is all it has to be is someone in a house being tormented by forces.
1: No, because he was digging the graves all day. They had a great montage of him feeling good and getting a shower and all this shit. Music kicking in. He's all cleaned up now, and now he has to go chase this dog, and he gets the fucking mud all back over him again. I felt bad for him here. He didn't get to stay clean for very long.
0: Isn't your concern that if they remade House, they would just kind of drop the comedy?
1: Yeah, you know, I could see it being a very direct-to-video humorless gore fest, mm-hmm. you know what I mean?
0: Because don't get me wrong, even though I'm saying I wish the whole idea of the PTSD was stronger, and I wish, that it, played, I wish it actually did play on the idea of... Um, him maybe going crazy and, and making the audience question that. That's not to say I don't want the comedy in here, because sure. I think that's what makes this film special is the, is the mixture of the two.
1: Well, we might as well go here since we're already scratching the surface. Me and Corey, we usually end up saying who would play who if this was a remake. Uh, here, we, here we go. I'll, I'll table that for a second. Uh, here we go with the, the, the hot woman showing up. Then we we pan down. she got this little kid here, very goofy little kid. But I gotta say, like I was like, oh, what is this corny shit? The other night, but this little gag here, when the kid turns around, <laughs> I have to say, this is when the movie really started working for me. Let's <laughs> <laughs> explain for people: the little boy, like probably like a two and a half year old little boy, he's got he's got the one of the monster parts, the hand clamped to his back. He just This is great. Uh, this must have been amazing to film this little kid just running through this house with this big rubber monster hand attached to his back. Monster hand backpack, and it, it like it gets a little weird and creepy too. Because like William Katz is trying to catch the kid, and the kid is like you know acting like it's a hide and seek type game, but like <laughs> it, like it's creepy. I mean, you know what he's doing, but like in a way, like I don't think you could do a, a scene now where he drags yeah. a little boy into a bag.
0: Yeah, no, I mean, being beyond that, like it's it goes in a creepy direction. Where I was just thinking, like I guess this is just the eighties, right? But right. We're based, we're on an idea here that this woman who's known this guy for what a day is like. Hey, watch my son. Yeah, and I'll just leave you with him, and then they go push it further to where he gives the son a bath later. Well, it's, and it's like, yeah, ah, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's very uncomfortable.
1: Now he flushes the the monster hand down the toilet, and it actually goes down the toilet. What do you think of that gag? The bit of reality. Gag,
0: yeah, no, it definitely is, and I and obviously it's hard it, when you watch. It's hard not to think like, well, that wouldn't happen. But because it's a gag, and again because there, you, you, anything can happen in this house, right?
1: Yeah. So you
0: just kind of have to accept it and whatever. It's 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 just there for a chuckle, basically. So. Yeah.
1: But I don't know. I have to say that scene played great for me. It's a little kid running around. It was just so childish. And we gotta say, like, the woman's not even like listen. Like, you know, there's there's like a family emergency. Somebody is sick in the hospital. Can't watch her. Like, like she's going. Let's be honest. She's going out to probably get drunk. Probably get yeah. high and probably get some dick, don't you think?
0: Yeah, because we don't, we never find know anything about this this kid's dad or if she's no. married or anything. No, nothing. I gotta say, I gotta I, I like her look there. She kind of looks like uh like a, got a Farrah Fawcett and Charlie's Angels kind of thing going on.
1: Yeah, she's hot. I don't know why I had that reaction that other Day after seeing her again, I, I I'm not gonna stick to that. It's not. Now getting back to what I was talking about before she showed up, uh, if there was to be a remake. Who you got in the you know obviously timeline wise adapting it to probably I guess the uh Afghanistan Wars and whatnot, but who do you got in the William Cat role in this film
0: i uh, so i shouldn't just use Michael Sheen oh, you could I mean, we already <laughs> kind of set it up um, well it's funny because you know like another th- another actor that pops to mind is someone who I feel like would 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 do really well with hitting the drama and the comedy. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's almost like you have to disqualify him now because he already just starred in a shitty Haunted House remake. And that's Sam Rockwell. Yeah. Who, unfortunately, was just in Poltergeist. But, <laughs> but I can see him in, like, this role, you
1: yeah. I'm going to drop a bomb on you right now, Trev. Just last week in the mail, I ordered Poltergeist uh, from Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, the 3D whatever version is insanely expensive in the States. I got it for 14 bucks from Australia and uh i mean i'm not you know i'm not going to defend a, a remake that didn't need to exist but i will say a 100% the only reason you know and it was kind of working on me cuz it was on cable a lot and i was catching pieces of it and i had seen it in the theater and thought it was okay but it was just fuck it man sam rockwell sent <laughs> the Poltergeist remake it was all it was a 100% sam rockwell is what sold mm-hmm. me on it but, uh, and did
0: he, did he live up to the legacy of Craig T. Nelson?
1: Yeah, okay, there's nothing about the Poltergeist remake that exceeds the greatness of the original. Because I do love the original Poltergeist. I think it's great. Um, except in the way that I actually do think Rockwell is way better than Craig T. Nelson. Okay. But but his character is actually way different than Craig T. Nelson's. The 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 Sam Rockwell thing, kind of the like character through line in the uh, Poltergeist remake is that he kind of feels like a loser because he's a dad out of work type thing and the family's mm-hmm. like quickly running out of money you know what I mean but uh
0: that's so weird. what about you, who are you throwing into the the William Cat role in a remake
1: I'm going to drop a bomb here because this is somebody I pretty much disparage every chance I get but I kind of see this remake, this role being right up his alley I'm, no, no, no kidding I'm actually going to go with Channing Tatum wow I actually. I never
0: I, expect to hear you offer Chang Tatum work. You know.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a blind hater. I just think it's a very narrow spectrum in terms of what he's good in.
0: Well, then, are you just going to go all out and give the George Went roll to Jonah Hill?
1: I won't go that far. <laughs> jo- I tell you what. I was at one time. I was a pretty big Jonah Hill fan, and uh, it was one of those things. The more he worked, the more Jonah Hill was in movies. The. I don't know like i don't i don't I don't feel like he lived up to his early work. I'll put it that way, I think after a while he was just pumping out movies just be I haven't seen it yet, but I really want to see war dogs or whatever it is. I'm hoping he can get you know Now, th- now this is really the garbage pale kids movie territory here with these little troll motherfuckers kidnap this yeah. little boy They drag him up. they drag their little boy up a fireplace and obviously it's done with special effects and whatnot, and it's safe here, but I gotta say this was, this was another scene I don't think we would see in a modern movie. Of William Cat trying to with all his might trying to pull this little boy down this chimney with, from these troll things crawling up it.
0: Well, don't we have this exact scene in Krampus?
1: I guess we do, right? Yeah, but it's all—it's a much older kid, though, right? Isn't it?
0: Or no? I mean, I don't. Why I, I I would Yeah, I mean, much older it. is negligible, but right, it's probably more like a yeah nine or ten year old. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Whereas this is like probably a three year old. See that, the, and this is another. Is it? uh is it uh this i'll tell you what I, I like i am not somebody who even really thinks kids are cute i'll be honest with you i've kind of got a cold heart when it comes to kids uh but i i thought this kid was adorable in the scene and like mm-hmm. this is obviously you know they're just improvising a little kid you can't really map out a scene but i thought cat did a great job of kind of playing with the kid and stuff but but then it hits you this is just a stranger's kid that you're giving a bag to <laughs> very, very yeah but I, ge- I guess it was easier to do that than explain to his mom why he was all covered in chimney suit.
0: <laughs> I guess, but I mean, yeah. But just we just cut to him and like just say, oh yeah, give him a bath, and she's yeah. she's cool she's with it. You know, him. this is this kid is gonna end up dead. That's all I'm saying because exactly. of the way his mom just clearly doesn't care about. Yeah, his welfare. she's
1: gonna leave him with the wrong person one day. Yeah, and then like a meth lab is gonna explode. <laughs> like... <laughs> and I noticed too, like she dropped off literally like probably a whole duffel bags worth of shit with that kid to take care of him and she didn't want any of it back (laughs) old George went I love now that he doesn't have company anymore Uh, the lady little boy went home (laughs) fucking cat's getting back into his army fatigues ain't he
0: Wow, Miller, Miller, uh, Miller High Life cans have not really changed that much over the years. Huh? They
1: haven't. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not a fan of Miller High Life in terms of the flavor of it, but mm-hmm. I get nostalgia for it sometimes, and I, I, I usually don't end up buying it, but I come real close to uh, getting the little bottles that have that little like Band Aid looking label on them. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, little X Band Aid label.
0: Now, here, I mean, no, what well, we can just say, like, this is where we get to the moment that if I was in charge of this film, I'd probably excise, right? Because, really? Well, once, I mean, now here, let me preface that. This whole buildup is great. It is. Where he's convincing George Went that it's a raccoon, and he mm-hmm. makes, like, Wendt put on the goggles and everything. And, and just the look of fear on <laughs> Went's face as he's about to open the closet is great. Yeah. But what I'm saying is the fact that Went sees the monster, too, right, completely right. changes the di- dynamic of the film. Now we're sure it's it not just William Cat's head. My only problem with that is that it never really pays off. Like after this, really? Went has no more interaction with with the story or with any more creatures. So in my head, it's like why why bother having that and why not just go all the way to the end with us still wondering is this in his head or not? Why why play that card if you're not gonna do anything more with it? So in my mind, it either should have been left out or Went should have been a more active participant in the in the climax. Like maybe being yeah. in the house and trying to help him fight the uh, the zombie you know, soldier at the end.
1: You have a point there, because, I mean, kind of where the story's at right now, Wynn is just popping up left and right with literally cases of beer, trying to distract William Cat and mm-hmm. kind of just keep an eye on the guy to make sure he's okay, because he thinks, if anything, he's a danger himself, but once uh, george went actually saw that there was legit shit going on in this house you think he would convince him like now he knows it's the house it's not just the guy who's crazy yeah you think he was co- 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 you know trying to convince him like you gotta get the fuck out like let's leave man like get the fuck out of here you know
0: yeah i think that's one thing you definitely would see like change in a remake now If yeah. they did this is that a, a writer would look at this and say like hey people are gonna like this neighbor character let's make them a bigger part of the third act
1: yeah, either Jonah Hill or Miles Teller would be desperately trying to convince Jamie <laughs> Tatum to leave at this point. Don't,
0: don't don't forget about Danny McBride. He's always out there. I'm around yeah. too.
1: So, yeah, here we go. Here's the great Hellraiser. And I almost feel like this scene was kind of like, not ad-libbed, but like thrown in some rewrites just so they could get a little more mileage out of this monster suit. Or, or not even a suit, a puppet. You know, so they could kind of show it one more time. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't blame him.
1: Yeah, I really thought Went was going to accidentally like shoot Cat in the leg or something with the spear gun. I mean, I, like, I mean, I think you see that fucker pop out of a closet. Your life has changed forever. <laughs> yeah, and then Cat gets tied up in the rope, and gets connected to his his leg, and he gets dragged in. Which was speaking of uh, Poltergeist remakes, th- like this really is like the Poltergeist remake because they had it really center around a haunted closet that everybody got pulled into to the other dimension. And like this is really weird too. Like when he gets pulled in there, he's wearing his army fatigues. But uh, unless I saw this the wrong way, he's suddenly back in his regular clothes in parts of this sequence. If I'm not right, and then back to the army fatigues later.
0: Hmm. I don't it's, know if I noticed that. It's really that, weird. I'll... Let's
1: keep an eye on it or just see I'm just... Maybe I'm just imagining it. Maybe it was just the uh, moonlight there. I thought he had the blue shirt back on. But yeah, he's back in that Vietnam set.
0: Yeah. But in a moment, we'll get, like, what I was talking about, like, the, the real, like, you know, because this body of water is obviously a... Uh... Or where where they're keeping his son? I'm not sure if that comes up yet. I mean, I guess yeah. that's yeah, I'll say it a little later. Never mind. Yeah.
1: The it's really weird that the body of water in the alternate dimension correlates to basically the swimming pool.
0: <laughs> but did, did you get a chance to listen to the commentary? Um,
1: I didn't. I yeah. I saw that it was on there, but I, yeah, I didn't have time. Yeah. Been buzzsawing through so many horror movies <laughs> recently. Now, obviously, this is the moment with, you know, his buddy in Vietnam, Richard Malk, uh, you know, uh, trying to, you know, he's mortally wounded, so to speak, but still alive. He's begging his friend to put him out of his mercy, yeah. slit his throat. No, that's what I mean. That's what's unique about and I mean, they're actually playing it straight here, too. Like
0: Yeah. like. But that's, again, that's what I mean, like. I'm sure you can see what I'm saying. Like, without the, the, what they just did with Wendt, you would be getting this, like, super interesting territory here where now you're realizing, oh, geez, this, this guy's really messed up, like, because of the guilt he has over this. So, all this, it could just be, like, a mental breakdown. And he's, you know, putting all this, uh, onto the house himself just to deal with his own unresolved issues. Right.
1: Yeah, I mean, just, I mean, you want to talk about tone jumping. Uh, I generally really like when people play around with tone and jump back and forth in between different tones and whatnot.
0: Well, as other as, as a lot of people have said, right? It's not like life has one tone. No. You know? yeah. So why should a why sh, why should it be avoided so much in fiction? You know, sometimes something is tragic, but right afterwards, something's funny. You
1: know. Yeah. Here he is. He jumps back through the closet. That was pretty cool. That there was just a closet door in Vietnam. I guess I guess I was imagining shit there. I, I think it was just the blue lighting. And I thought he, I thought there was like a shot or two where he had the blue long sleeve shirt on, but I was wrong. I stand corrected. Fans. I
0: have like to wonder like how long George went actually tried to like do something about it before he just gave up and went and grab that liquor and yeah, passed out. He,
1: he finished the case of beer and then he looked around and found a bottle of Jack Daniels. But my thing, if you're gonna stay in a haunted house, like it's kind of when I like how when I watched the show The Strain. And there's a character that's always getting drunk and then walking out into a city full of dangerous vampires. Like, would you really want to get that fucked up when there's yeah. like monsters around every corner? <laughs> you know what I
0: mean? See, that's right. I mean. Like, so he just like took the unconscious George, went back to his house, put him on the couch, and that's that's pretty much it for him.
1: Yeah, he pretty and much he checks kind of out to the flop floor. there. Yeah. yeah, to the happy finale of the uh, the film, whatnot. All right, we're 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 kind of getting ready to ramp up to the uh, big finale here, but uh, real quick, I know usually you try to go and complete mental blackout and all that before a film comes out, but all this war talk is uh, with this movie got me curious. Trev, I gotta I gotta ask as uh, William Cat finds a painting that shows that his son is actually trapped in the bathroom mirror, playing that off but uh, I got to ask real quick where are you at on Star Wars Rogue One
0: <laughs> I mean I'm, I'm I can guarantee I'm more positive about it than you are um,
1: No I know but I'm just saying like are you psyched
0: Yeah I mean I am excited I mean I how do I put it I mean I mean I'm I'm, ex- I'm about as excited about it as I would be about any kind of just blockbuster film I'm looking forward to yeah. right It's not like I'm over the moon about it but I'm I'm definitely intrigued to see what uh, a Star Wars movie will look like that's not an episode, right? Mm -hmm. right. But also not the Han Solo prequel or the Boba Fett prequel, which I don't care about either of those, you know? And that's not to say once they come out, they're definitely going to be bad. Maybe I'll like them, but I can't garner excitement for them. Or at least Rogue One, you know, it has enough elements of like, oh, I like the idea of a Star Wars war film and, and something a little more. I mean, if I had my druthers, they wouldn't be doing any of these prequels. They'd just be making side stories that take place in the current continuity. Right. But but I've liked the trailers and and overall I'm, I'm looking forward to it.
1: Yeah, like it it was I was all about it for a very long time and then the production stories started the problems started and then the the trailers just underwhelmed me. And it's weird too because I I really don't and I think it's you know it's about to happen like within a week here when all the toys and shit get released so we'll start ramping up after them but kind of surprised by how low key. Disney, and I know they always meant this to be a smaller movie and they don't expect it to do what Force Awakens does, but I'm kind of surprised how low-key they're being with it, in all honesty.
0: But I mean, that's the other thing, too, and I mean, I am i know you see this as a negative, and even I do to a certain extent, although I'm not as bothered by it but, as you are, but I mean, now that we've had Force Awakens, mm. we'll never have another experience like that. Right. Like, once you make something an annual occurrence, then it's just, yeah. it's it, it's only going to be as exciting as, like, the Marvel movies are now, right? Which right. is more just like, well, yeah, I want to see the next one, but there's no need to get that hyped up about it, because you know there's something else coming the next year.
1: Exactly. Yeah, it it, it robs, just by, I mean, it's not, you know, it's not like anybody dropped the ball or anything, it's just the nature of... Once you get everything like clockwork every eleven months, it's yeah. you know like yeah, I a, I miss that three year buildup in between the movies coming out or whatever. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, it's a it's a factory product now. I can't deny that. Yeah.
1: Know. Now getting back to House because this is where it gets really interesting. He breaks the mirror. It turns out it's just like a huge. Doorway to uh, you know this other dimension and whatnot. Okay. He has to climb down a rope, and then we're going to get something that's very Evil Deadish here, aren't
0: we? Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Very especially like an army of darkness aspect. Yeah.
1: He's going down this rope, and it's just literally just he's just on a black background, like he's like in a cavern.
0: No, they like they joke in the commentary about how you know they like I said the writer says like you you do write to what you think your budget is you right. know, and he says like. Well, what's kind of mysterious but still cheap? Just say someone is being lowered into like blackness, you know, because like that doesn't require any money.
1: And then out of nowhere comes this. I think it's a combination of a puppet, but then mostly stop motion animation. It's basically like a skeleton bat, right? Was that what you would call it? (laughs) it? Has big bat wings and just a skull head. It kind of comes up, screeches, then it flies off. Then it comes back, and uh, it's actually, now this is where it took me kind of by surprise. It actually steals his, his shotgun, mm-hmm. and then, like, okay, it's just an animal, you know, grabs something from Flyway. flyaway. But in a second here, it's going to fly back, do a trick with a gun, spin the gun yeah. around its hand, and then shoot, you know, bl- blow away his uh Safety rope he's got that he's And, then, and the done.
0: the fun thing they reveal on the DVD is that they didn't ask the company that did this effect to do the the gun spin. Yeah, they just kind of threw that in there as like a little. So when they saw the footage, that was new to them. Like, they didn't oh know. It <laughs>
1: <laughs> they just threw this in to fuck around. They they knew we were making a ridiculous movie. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, I love the stop motion. I love it. But uh, oh yeah but you know it's very uh, a low budget effect or whatever but you know in a second or in about five minutes here there's there's some effects that i was watching this other night i'm like i'm surprised how good some of these effects look you know honestly yeah with the cliff and whatnot
0: so here's where i'll fill you in since you said you didn't listen to the commentary so the the in a second here we're going to get to what i was talking about where yeah right here where he pops up yeah in this kind of swamp area and now he'll find his son and you know uh you kind of have him, like, in a cage, as they would sometimes would keep POWs in in Vietnam. But this was all added after the fact. Like, in the first cut of the film, he just fell into that water that we just saw, and then just found his son in the water, and then <laughs> raised up into the pool. <laughs> and they the said fuck? it was like, when they showed it to people, people just felt like there's something missing, and it, right. it occurred to them late, like, oh, yeah, we should really connect the son to the Vietnam stuff. Like, right. there needs to be a connection there so that there's, like, a whole point to all this. And it's funny that they hadn't thought of that before, but, I mean, it really... They're right. I mean, and, and this does this does play, right? It works that, like, okay, the house is, like, recreating his worst nightmare, and that's also where it's keeping his son.
1: Exactly, because so, b- before, it's like, yeah, the flashbacks are just flashbacks. That's completely separate from the house. But it makes much more sense that this altered dimension that he's pulled into, he falls into, would be his version of living hell. You know what I mean? Right.
0: And I also wonder, like, I it, the movie doesn't really explain or go into the detail of, like, has his son really lived, like, the same passage of time, right? Has he been right. this, like, POW in, like, hell Vietnam for, what, a year or so? I mean...
1: Yeah, and that was another thing that I was kind of, like... Well, obviously, you want it to be the same kid actor as the flashbacks just so you recognize that it's his son. But I was really thinking about that because, I mean, unless I just wasn't paying attention enough to dialogue, but, like, I really didn't know how long his son had been missing or presumed mm-hmm. dead or whatever. I was like, was it a year? I I'd Like, in my head... I just kind of assumed it was like a two to three year period, but I think it's probably supposed to be much less, like maybe a year, if that. Yeah, Because the kid really does look the same. And obviously this is, you know, great joy. You, you know, he, he got his son and, you know, they got back to the real world. And uh, obviously, I mean, they are trying to leave the house, but I, like, I would have, like, I would. Have, I wouldn't even walk back through the house. I would have took the son through the driveway and got the hell out of there.
0: I would love if you just instantly taken his son over to that hot neighbor's house and be like, "Can you watch my son for a while?" Yeah,
1: I gotta, yeah. Really. Oh, time to return the favor. Now here we have the um, the monster, who is actually the zombie version of Richard Mull. But I don't think it's Richard Mall playing him. I think it might actually be Kane Hodder because Kane Hodder was
0: the. No, they order. say on the on the counter they say it was actually like a really thin guy. Oh, that really? That. Okay. Because it had to be to like for the for like Skeleton. the suit to. Work. Yeah.
1: Now see, now here we have the part with the zombie, Richard Mall. This is actually my favorite thing about this movie, and like what you would see in Fangoria and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I really love this as a kid, and I still think the suit works great. Like there's a few times. On the close-ups, they probably maybe got a little bit too close for the face, so and yeah. it looks a little too latexy. But when you see this figure, I mean, it's it's the perfect kind of misdirect, like kind of how they would do Jason, and I think part seven, with the yeah. clothes that are shredded, and you can see some of the skeleton remains. Well, it's too. pretty
0: fantastic, right? And like the the tendency in all modern films is it, it, with a creature like this is to. Make everything dark, you know, to hide everything. Yeah. But it's it's a testament to how great this suit is that they're really lighting it up a lot too, and it, it it still works. It still looks perfect, like even in really strong light, um, you're not seeing any flaws in the suit or it doesn't look fakey, you know.
1: Yeah, and I, and I feel like too is um the uh you know tendency a lot of times too is to go to CGI because they can create any type of monster. Like, you know, they could remake this movie now and just make that any type of monster, but. The fact that it's a human form, you know, monster played by a person in a suit, like, I, I feel like it, it brings so much more uh, character to the performance, mm-hmm. you know, because you're actually able to get a, a performer in there doing it. You know, like, an, a perfect example, I guess, of a newer movie of that would be, like, when you watch Tales from the Grip Demon Night, and the demons are so amazing, but I could easily see the demons being CGI in a. Oh, yeah, you know, sure. Like, remake or. Similar new movie. And it is kind of, I mean, it's obviously that it's like dubbed or whatever, but like, I still like the fact that they kept it Richard Maul's like, kind of, they kind of put a little bit of effect on it, I think, but mm-hmm. it's still Richard Mall dubbing the lines of the monster guy, you know, the zombie guy.
0: Well, I think if it wasn't it would you'd have a you actually might have a hard time connecting with who that's supposed to be or cuz it doesn't really look like Richard Mole. So No,
1: cuz I mean, he's, for people who maybe haven't seen the movie or whatever, it's a very like like skeletal it, it, it looks almost exactly like Jason does in Part 7 mm-hmm. of Friday the 13th. I will put it that way. Yeah, Part 7. Cuz I don't think they showed his face. I can't remember did they show Jason's face in Part 6? Like that wormy whatever
0: uh, yeah, they do, because, like, when he, when he wakes up in the cemetery, he doesn't have the mask okay. on at first. But
1: I know, like, they really showed in Part 7 when the, the psychic girl, like, splits mm-hmm. his mask apart or whatever. It's
0: actually interesting when I, I, sometimes I see people say online that, like, seven's the only one where they show his face or anything, yeah. and really, they, like, show his face in pretty much all of them.
1: Oh, yeah, because he had much more of a uh, deformed head and stuff in Part like 3 and stuff.
0: Well, mm-hmm. Part 2, he looks very, like, Part 2 is where he's got, like, the beard and the long oh, hair. Oh,
1: yeah, he's... he's 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 different but yeah yeah they
0: they dropped that right away
1: yeah which i mean i think it's a good move in a way
0: yeah i actually think maybe um i think one of the ones where we don't see his face is freddy versus jason
1: i think you're right about that i I thought the shots of the zombie walking down the stairs were great the way the kind of lighting was you know kind of Mm slap lighting and I do, I do like that cat just straight up man, mans up and... Uh,
0: yeah, and goes back to fight him. Yeah,
1: starts beating Like, not only fighting him, but he still really starts beating the shit. Now, this is a great moment, too, where he goes to swing him into a wall and his arm just comes off. And the <laughs> well, cat starts beating him with the fucking arm.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I got to say, watching this uh, with the, uh, you know, this wrap-up, this kind of action-packed finale... You know, some of these movies that kind of end more on a whimper than a bang. But I give them credit, man. You know, this this movie just wasn't a bunch of foreplay and fucking around. Like they really try to deliver a big climax. You know.
0: Yeah. No. And, it, and it's long too, right? Like yeah. this movie's been it's been pretty propulsive and nonstop for you know the last you know ten minutes or so, and we still got a while to go yet. So yeah, this is great. I love this. I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan. Always of movies, like kind of matte paintings and yeah. things like that. This is such a great effect where he's hanging off the house on this kind of cliff. And-
1: yeah, he goes to open like a kitchen back door and he just falls and he's hanging there and there's a cliff. And I mean, I don't know. It looks it looks really real to me. It honestly does. <laughs> I mean, obviously, it's probably a green screen type thing or something, but I even love the detail of when the zombie steps on his foot, like the boot is like ripped up and You you see the zombie.
0: Yeah, like the toes. And-
1: toes, yeah. Toe bones. This is some really Indiana Jones shit here, but I buy it just because we actually are in almost like a dream world where anything's possible as long as you try it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I love that he uses his belt as a whip to grab the zombie and pull him off down to the cliff. Like I was totally into this the other night. Like the you know because the the finale, besides obviously being action packed and the run around and fighting and stuff, like it it gets more and more kind of ludicrous and you know. Fantastical as it goes along. and I was totally on board with it, you know. Like I wish more movies would do that, just really ramp up the craziness. You know, if your story can handle it, but obviously this is a house with a lot of illusions and strange shit going on, supernatural shit.
0: Yeah, I guess it's not it's not bound by any rules of reality or physics, so
1: Yeah, I mean you're almost just in, keep
0: pushing whatever, you know.
1: Yeah, you're almost in Freddy's dream world here. Like pretty yeah. much. Like, here we have the uh, the zombie guy come back, even though he just got thrown off a cliff. And he's going to th- th- slit the throat of the side. Like, you could have gotten really cruel with this, I think, if you wanted to. And have it all to be a dream, and that like he really didn't rescue his son. But I think that would be way too downbeat of a way to go.
0: Well, in a moment I'll tell you how I would probably end this, and I guess <laughs> you'll probably disagree. But here, I I'm, I don't really get this, I have to admit. Like, this moment it, where it's not the shot zombie... Well. Like, cuts his hand off but then it turns out it's he didn't actually cut his hand off and it's right there's just this insinuation now that cat has finally realized that the house can't hurt him yeah it's all illusion the only problem with that is that the house has hurt him quite a bit in this film and we even see right now he is covered in cuts and bruises so why is it suddenly that he can't be hurt by it um i don't know i just i i feel like they needed to explain this a little bit more
1: i mean the only thing i can think of then he shoves the grenade into the zombie. Like the, like, the zombie really loses power over him. The only thing I can, like, really understand is, like, because before he was terrified, you know, when all that shit was happening to him and he was getting all cut up and stuff, he was terrified, whereas now he's beating the shit out of the zombie. Like, he's fighting back. Like, you know, they kind of play it, like, I was going to ask you what you thought about them playing it so, so similar to the ending of the original Nightmare on Elm Street where, like, pretty much...
0: Exactly, that, like, I I... I don't fear him anymore. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: But that's pretty much what it was and I gather that like I just at that moment he was brave and like he wasn't weak and his fear level wasn't high so
0: Well, I don't like it in Nightmare on Elm Street. And I don't like it here. <laughs> so that's my answer.
1: I guess in a way it works in uh, Nightmare on Elm Street cuz it didn't really stop anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess all right, so my my alternate ending to this. All right, if if I had made House, I guess probably maybe I would maybe it wouldn't have been a big as big of a hit because House was a hit. He was a hit, and but the, the version I see in my head is that you never have the scene with George Went seeing the creatures, right. and here you kind of, you kind of end it similarly, where he comes out with the son and is reunited with his ex wife and his yeah. son. But then you you make you do a hard cut to the reality of it, and the wife is the wife and the neighbor are standing there looking at him, but he's really holding nothing. Like he didn't right. really find a son. He's holding and you a do pillow.
1: Just,
0: yeah. Actually, <laughs> you know, then you, I would, I, I would more heavily insinuate that this was like all in his head. And, uh, you know, maybe people would see that as a cheat, but I don't think, I still think it'd be an interesting movie, right? It would still oh, be, definitely. you know, a haunted house movie, but just more about the, the, the haunting of a mind, you know, and what happens to a soldier that's gone through something that traumatic. And then the, the double trauma of losing his son, you know, um, and, I, you know, you don't even have to reveal what really happened to the sun. They did actually have a nice misdirect in the movie where when the sun goes missing really, you actually hear, like, a car screeching away. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of lightly insinuated maybe he was kidnapped, but... Yeah, you do. Yeah. But, yeah, so, I mean, I, mean, I don't know. Now, I don't know if that would be more valid, but it's, it's probably what I would have preferred to see. Um, but that said, actually, we'll say watching it this time... Uh, talking about it with you, I, I did actually kind of like it a little bit more than I did the other night. So maybe I just needed to get over the initial yeah. disappointment of, you know, it being not as great as I remember it being, but now I'm seeing more of the positives again.
1: Well, it was just, it was such a movie from my childhood, which I honestly haven't seen in such a long time. So I was kind of expecting that letdown, and then you kind of, you know, let me know, like, hey, it was a little bit of a letdown. I like, I think I kind of went in going like, okay, this, you know, this won't live up to whatever, and, like, it, you know, like, I was saying before earlier in the show, like, it definitely is a bumpy road. i make no bones about that. But, like, at the end, like, because, yeah, the ending's, like, so happy and almost cookie-cutter. It's even hard to believe that's the real ending, you know what I mean? Like, it almost seems like yeah. more shit should happen. But, um, I don't know. It's, like, even though it was bumpy along the way, like, there's so much damn cool shit in this movie that you almost, like... You forgive the bumpy ride, so to speak you know what I mean
0: Well yeah I, I think you and I have talked about this before whether it's on this show or just like when we've done other podcasts but there's something about like the flawed films of this time period mm-hmm. that still makes them so much more interesting and fun to watch than the, yeah. the flawed films that come out today I right yeah. because there's always something to find that's that's compelling and unique about these. So I mean uh, yeah I wouldn't say house is a great film. But there's great effects in it, there's right. great creatures, there's a lot of funny moments. It, it, there's no reason you should ever be bored watching it.
1: No, I mean, there's some really, you know... And, like, I don't know, like... I I think maybe an extra layer of appreciation I had for this was... uh I mean, I don't know exactly... Like, even, even when I looked on Wikipedia the other night, like, it had the budget... Like, it's fairly high, like, so high that I didn't believe it. Let me see what it said real quick. Uh, House 1986. It has a budget... Or maybe it doesn't have the budget listed. The box office is $22 million, But But, uh, like, I really think this was, like, probably a $2 million film. Yeah. You know? And the, the thing about it is, like, the thing that I, you know, I kind of appreciate seeing these... Is let's be honest, like there's not that many two million dollar films you see now that are really that good. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's like I mean maybe some dramas and stuff, but I mean I'm talking about like these type of movies where you're building tons of effects and you're probably shooting day and night just to get the thing under budget and all that. Like I really appreciate now one of these movies that are kind of made by the filmmakers, you know, the skin under their teeth that actually kind of works more than I am now, where it's like, you know. So even the lower budget movies now, it's so they have so much cheat, you know, wiggle room with the with the digital stuff that they can do now. That like I really appreciate these older, uh, you know, kind of more literally handcrafted films that you know were a little more sweat, ingenuity, and imagination than kind of things are now. You know.
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'm actually like super intrigued now to revisit House Two yeah me too because it's the one that i've always thought in my head like i like more but i also know it's 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 clearly like the goofier of the two right, right. and like this one that the tonal stuff kind of threw me off a little bit on this revisit so it'll be interesting to see if i still like that one more if i still like it as much as i remember liking it or if i'm more put off by it but but uh it'll be a fun chance to kind of revisit this not not really uh looking forward to revisiting house three or four no. uh, as a matter of fact <laughs> i probably just won't <laughs>
1: well, well let's let's get into that real quick house two uh for people who don't know it's a much more well i guess you can't get much more fantasy based than even house but it, it kind of is in a way like it brings you know a lot more of the ghost or whatever characters forward house three there actually really isn't a house three no. there, there was just a movie called the horror show that the producers were making. And in, in, in America, it was never called House 3, but it was like a lot of the foreign markets they called it House 3. Mm-hmm. Just because it also had to do with some kind of haunted house. And then there's a House 4, which actually is the the real direct continuation to House, because it picks up with William Cat and his character actually gets killed off in it so yeah
0: although i don't know have you seen house 4
1: no i haven't i just read the, the synopsis
0: so i will like you should check it out someday not because it's good but more yeah. just to see like what the hell's going on here and it was but made, i like, will years later yeah and i will say it's quite clear that that was not written to be that character You're right and then they probably found out william cat was available or he expressed interest whatever the case right Cause it, because because he's when it first of all the movie starts he has a completely different family no is made to this character the, like the wife or the son cuz now he has a daughter and a different wife that's weird and he's not, and they don't present him as an author he's like uh, it, it's he has like a different occupation so i'm pretty sure it was just written as a different character altogether and then when they got william cat they're like well, just change the name to the, the name of the character from house but it's not cuz it's not even it's not about the same house or anything that's it's bizarre. like a, it's a it's yeah. a different house that it's like an old family house that uh, turns out to be haunted uh, as well but uh yeah there's just there's no way it was actually written to be a real sequel it's more just uh they did it of convenience
1: i i i I have to say uh that kind of chaps my ass because i'm all down for the halloween three type sequels where Mm -hmm. it's just like kind of like the makers and the producers carrying on like a different thing or whatever but like I, I don't like it when you try to hoodwink it into being a real sequel to something Right? Else. No, that's, why,
0: that's what actually, even at the time, even as a kid, like I, that's what I liked about the, uh, uh, the idea of House 2. Yeah. Like, there was just a new house and a new story, Fresh and start, I thought, yeah. and there's no reason we shouldn't be up to, like, House 14 now, you know, and yeah. just, like, a different story each time.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, obviously, you know, the Universal, after Halloween 3, had no real interest in in continuing on with that anthology type of format. But I feel like Sean S. Cunningham, you know, and I guess money talks and bullshit walks, and maybe it was because he was getting back involved with the Friday the 13th franchise in the early 90s. This is why it kind of house died out. But I feel like he was the kind of low-budget producer who could have made that work, especially if, if, you know, maybe if they start going just the directed video route, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and it's really it's like the perfect name for a franchise too, right? Yeah. And 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 that the the nice thing about that why House could have worked in a way that the Halloween thing didn't, mm-hmm. um, is because House was never going to have an iconic villain, right? right? The House is always the star, so you don't need to worry about someone getting locked in to be like, well, how come that uh, that particular zombie is not in the sequel? Right, and that means that you also could have got to the point where like you said, number two is an escalation in fantasy. But you also could have had a house film that's just a home invasion film. You could have had a house film where it's about a serial killer that lives next door. You know, as long as it's centralized in a house, then you can do whatever you want. And you could have just made this like a total anthology series.
1: And obviously, you know, this movie, I mean, to me, this movie, the way it looks and all the special effects. I mean, to me, in a way, it's... You know, it, it's presented like an A picture, you know, like they, they really made the most. But obviously, you know, where the cheapness comes in is filming in that central location, the house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously a lot of it, you know, other certain fantasy parts of it were filmed on stages. I get that. But uh, but yeah, like that central location, you know, I mean, William Cat. I don't think he really, you know, other than go to like the yard or backyard. He doesn't really leave the house like once he gets there for the whole movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I, I think you could have. Uh, Sean S. Cunningham, who's been pretty successful. I mean, there's been some time periods where he's kind of gone away and he's always come back and produce more films. But he could have used the House franchise in that way, like you're talking about, to really be a um, kind of training and breeding ground for young writers and directors. You know, it would have been interesting. Yeah. But,
0: yeah. but you know. If, y- only they, if only they left us in charge of this shit. Exactly.
1: Mm-hmm. But I don't think they would have listened to a. a Bunch of eight-year-olds at the time. So I guess not.
0: <laughs> well, I don't know. There are moments in this film where I feel like they were listening to eight-year-olds. <laughs> they were,
1: that little boy that he gave the bath to. They were taking. Yeah, he's script. probably
0: giving script notes. Yeah, script notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that's how. And uh, I'll I'll peel the curtain back a little bit. We, the only reason we really even did this was uh because you really wanted to do a house too, and I want to thank you for uh obliging me. And I said, oh, but we should do you know because there's you know. Like, we kind of cheated last year. It was when the show was still new, and we kind of just jumped into Halloween 4 because, you know, me and Corey were like, oh, what's a movie we both got? Okay, let's do it. But, it, you know, like, when it comes to these franchise movies, I, you know, I really like starting either at the beginning of the franchise or, like, starting with the first film in the series that was in the 80s because, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like, 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 perfect example is uh, also this month we have Halloween 2. And Halloween 2, even though it's like that thing where it's like, you know, it's supposed to take place in the same night and all that kind of thing. Uh, It's supposed to be like the way it's shot. It's supposed to look like a direct continuation of part one. It it actually feels very different from part one because they had to compete with the 80s aesthetic. So, like, that's kind of why I like doing the franchise films in order showing how they evolve because i'm sure we'll notice some slight differences between house and house two uh but you know yeah, I
0: different like, cheers cast member
1: yeah exactly <laughs> Ratsenberger, right <laughs> yeah yeah but i i kind of like you know doing these films in order so we can kind of track you know what the differences and trends and whatever are as the the decade evolved and you know no
0: yeah i i mean in retrospect i certainly agree and i and i want to thank you because i just wanted to do house two and yeah. uh, i was not in any hurry to revisit this film and then as i said like i watched it last week and not super into it then i sit down and do this commentary and watch it and be like man i was just a crab ass last week actually this <laughs> is mostly fun so well yeah, yeah I'm, I'm glad i i'm glad i rediscovered you know this this franchise which i mean i'm calling two films i like a franchise because yeah. i'm ignoring three and four but
1: yeah they're very loose.
0: and boy boy they sure missed out by not keep going and what they had to have done though if, if they had gone on is you did you did need a different cheers cast member in every one. Oh, like, if yeah. we don't get a kelsey Grammer house and a you know a woody harrelson house then they're they're not doing it right <laughs>
1: exactly i want a shelly long house
0: <laughs> that would be shelly long pie wants a house too <laughs>
1: yeah she probably does <laughs> but yeah so that's it horror fiends we'll have more october shows coming along for you Um, If you want to keep this show going strong, helping us spread the word, doing whatever, you can check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash 1980smoviegraveyard for only 7 cents a day, uh, monthly pledge, uh, $2 a month. You can keep us not only going strong, but you get access to some really cool bonus content over there. Uh, We got plenty of horror shows coming along here. I want to obviously thank Trevor for coming in, jumping in uh, once again. To, to help take down another great 80s little hidden gem. Trev, tell the people who are listening what else you got going on in the podcasting realm in case maybe they want a little break from the damn horathon we got going on all month.
0: Yeah, sure. You can always check me out also at uh, If It Bleeds, We Can Kill It um, and Days of Future podcast. Uh, Co host both of those, one obviously being an X Men related show and one being just general nerd hijinks. So uh, check it out.
1: Yeah, spread spread the word. Uh we got tons of podcasts out there for all the nerds just like us, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody, thank you so much. I hope you have a great Halloween. Uh I hope you actually have the time to listen to all 10 uh, well, I guess it's going to be hard because we're even going to be releasing an episode on Halloween, so you might not get time to watch that, but I, like, I'll, I'll, I'll give some bonus points to our uh, faithful listeners if they can make it through all the horror episodes actually in the month of October. If not, if you're listening to this in July of 2019, that's cool too, but <laughs> <laughs> we really, really, I don't know if we'll ever be able to duplicate this uh, or not this many episodes in a month, but... Uh, you know it, it, it was a fun challenge to try I'm, I'm glad i actually pushed myself and i want to thank trevor for doing so many episodes and clearing stuff off the schedule and making time to get these movies and watch them and you know talk about them so thank you trevor and thank you Oh uh, man
0: no things. problem always a pleasure to talk uh talk the 80s movies with you so anytime
1: yeah, yeah man i gotta say you know doing this you know i had a feeling that this pie you know this podcast would uh kind of reinvigorate my love for movies in general because i knew there were so many damn gems to kind of sift through from the 80s so thank you to all the 80s writers directors actors producers thank you everybody you know for making this great stuff and we're doing our best to uh keep this shit alive because it should survive
0: can't wait for a couple of decades down the line when you and i are sitting down recording episodes of the Ots movie graveyard
1: yeah i keep i keep thinking like what's that like the 2000 the like the year 2000 and beyond movie (laughs) smorgasbord like what what a hokey name would come up with anyway everybody have a spooky october have fun stay safe we'll see you soon
0: yeah